Welcome. Uh, good morning. This is uh, Pastor Jerry DeHart at Chesterland Baptist Church, wanting you, wanting to welcome you uh, to this uh, worship service. Again, we are uh, uh, taping this so that you can uh, be at home and safe. And and this is a special day. It's Mother's Day. I hope there's some way that you can be with your families and the mothers can be celebrated because uh, this is a special day for you and I. I trust it will be a meaningful one as uh, however you work it out so that your family can come and visit or at least call or Zoom you to say, Mom, we love you. Thank you so much. However you work it out, I uh, I hope it's a good one for you. Uh, the news for us, um, since Ohio is opening up slowly and uh, randomly, I, uh, I've been talking with some of the deacons and and people of the church, and there's an eagerness to get back together. And so timing is a particular, particularly important. So we're going to plan on meeting on the last Sunday in May, on the 31st. And so we'll prepare uh, for those who want to have worship in the church itself. Uh, we want to welcome you to come in. And for those who are not, are not comfortable coming yet, please... Uh, Feel free to stay at home, and, and we'll uh, continue to broadcast this uh, on our website. So so that's the news for you uh, this morning. And as we begin uh, to go to God in prayer and worship, we want to uh, begin with a word of Scripture. So I want to uh, read Psalm 89. And Psalm 89 uh, says this, 1 through 4. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. And I have made a covenant. Um, I made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. As we, uh, as we get into this uh, sermon, uh, we want to think about um, where we are in the book of Acts. And as we're thinking about uh, from last week moving over, that God is at work building up uh, his people. And he's going to work here in Chesterland as in our hearts as he's done throughout all the ages. But as we uh, learned last week that John Mark had some doubts in the boat as he was crossing from Perga, from Paphos to Perga, and there were fears in the heart. And so last week was encouraging to me as I began to meditate on John Mark. And as I thought about John Mark as a man who was mature in faith, a disciple of Christ, and yet he had a real conflict in his heart, that God was doing something unique in John Mark, as he's doing in all of us. And I'm going to <clears throat> take uh, uh, this week to share with you some things uh, from the scriptures that I think may help us uh, think about each one of us as we're trying to grow in our relationship with Christ. 
And so I've titled uh, this sermon, Lord, Increase Our Faith, based on uh, some of the stories that if we get into the scriptures, you see how God's always trying to uh, increase our faith. So let me begin with a word of prayer, and we open up and ask God's Spirit to come and help us. Father, again, we look to you, thanking you for the uh, grace that is ours in Christ, and because of him, we have the boldness to come before you with full assurance, knowing that your precious promises have granted to us life in Christ, knowing that he is a resurrected Lord sitting at the right hand of the Father. And because of his word and because of, of his promise, knowing that salvation is ours, we, we come uh, boldly, standing in the promises of God, knowing that what Jesus did for us on the cross uh, removes our sin and provides a peace for us as we approach you. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. As we do want to rejoice in the fact that we have faith in you and that you have really called us to be your people. And as such, Father, we, uh, we look to you now that your spirit would guide us into more understanding of who Jesus is, that our faith would be rooted and grounded in him. So, Father, would you take this time of worship, call us, minister to us, and, Lord, increase our faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Faith uh, lies at the very heart of Christianity. And if you understand anything about how, Protest how Protestantism was born, it was through the recovery of faith from Martin Luther, who went way back to Paul, who said, the just shall live by faith. Faith is so powerful uh, in the scripture because it is the substance, it is the core, it is the essence that drives us. And so to understand that what you believe in your soul really is one of the most important things about you. If you have faith, if you have faith, then you have life. If you have little faith, you have little life. If you have strong faith, you will have much more abundant life. And so we're going to look at this, this theme of faith in light of what John Mark went through, because as the writer of Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So much so that in the New Testament, the noun pistis and the verb pisteo are used more than 240 times, while the adjective of faith, uh, pistos, is found 67 times. It's used so many times. Faith is so important that even Jesus would say, uh, be it done according to your faith. And so when you think about what John Mark went through in that boat ride to uh, Perga and then to Jerusalem, there were lots of things that he probably was struggling with 
regarding his doubts and his fears. We looked at that last week. Well, this week, I'm going to pick up on that and thinking about when John was going into a cross-cultural ministry into Turkey among the Gentiles, he was challenged in his faith, no doubt, and because he had ventured out into the world out of his comfort zone, and he encountered different, different differences among the religions of the world. You remember how in Greek, uh, all these pantheon of goddesses uh, and gods that, that he encountered from uh, Diana and Artemis, and, um, you, you, you come across the, the pantheon, and Nike, the goddess of victory, you see a picture there of, of the statue holding a little god, uh, of Athena, the goddess of war. These were, these were uh, man-made gods, but Xenophanes said, if oxen and horses and lions could draw and paint, they would delineate the gods in their own image. Likewise, the Greek gods and goddesses were no more than larger uh, human forms with uh, human attributes. And so, as Paul and Barnabas last week got into cross-cultural ministries, the, the issue that they faced is not that there was worship going on uh, among different cultures. The great division of mankind then was not whether people would worship a god and some people did not worship. Rather, it is between those who worship the true god, the living god, and those who worship false gods and idols. In the first century, it was a polytheistic worldview where a number of gods were allowed, but they were also considered to be local gods, tribal gods, as was the god of the Hebrews. He was considered a local tribal god as well, until God would demonstrate the fact that he was not just a local god, but he was the, the global god, a, um, a god who was the lord of the universe. Polytheism uh, was rampant in the, in the Greek and Roman culture, but they weren't considered divine because they did not exist without being dependent upon something. Neptune needed his sea. Uh, Diana needed the, the, create, the creation to be uh, the goddess of the hunt. They didn't exist outside of the created world, and therefore they were just projections of... Um, of what those cultures believed. But one of the things I wanted to bring out is that in the first century, uh, the idea that there were no gods was almost unheard of. Atheism was almost unheard of. Um, and so it starts in the first century with an impossibility of unbelief. Everybody believed in something in the first century. But as we move on into um, looking at what they dealt with, those who were religious uh, would say, I don't need philosophy because we have our religion. And sometimes those in religion, would, those in philosophy say, we don't need your religion because we have our philosophy. Well, whereas the religion may have been cultural or tribal, the philosophies were personal and the same is true today in the 21st century where 
where we have different belief systems, but you'll notice that the belief systems uh, would now increase their unbelief as there are more atheists now than ever before. Because the world religions are still around, <clears throat> but we don't tend to trust in philosophy as much as we trust in uh, reason or our science and our technology. But no matter what we encounter, uh, what you're going to find is that in our postmodern society, we have the same challenge that John Mark had. We have to go across uh, waters and we will encounter a different worldview. And that our world may consider religion as irrelevant and may consider truth as being relative. This is the postmodern dilemma. Well, going to the Gentiles means that you need to understand, one, what you believe, and two, how do you communicate your faith to people who don't understand or want to know what you believe or how, how it fits into their world. So let me begin this series with uh, a focus on faith. We're going to look at faith in particular, uh, how to increase your faith. And so as we go into the, the, um, the topic, you, you first ask the question, where does faith come from? Well, I can make one up. I met a guy in Michigan, University of Michigan one time, who, uh, who said to me, I uh, want to take the best of all religions. And so I took some things from Christianity, some things from Islam, some things from Hinduism, and he had a kind of a golden corral smorgasbord of uh, qualities that he wanted from different gods. And as we talked about what he thought and believed, um, he came up with a pretty good God as far as his homemade creation. And I said, there's one thing about your God that is different than the God of the Bible. He said, what was that? He said, you didn't ask your God to die for you. And he thought for a minute, because to ask God to sacrifice, to provide for you salvation, isn't a natural belief because we wouldn't conceive of salvation that way. Uh, we would conceive it in other ways, but we would never think about God actually loving us to the point of giving his only begotten son. And therefore, where does faith come from? Faith doesn't start from within. It is based on the facts without. And what the Bible says is that, first of all, faith is a gift. It is not of yourselves. The gift of salvation and the gift of faith in that salvation comes as, a, as God himself gives us the faith. And therefore, where does it come from? It comes from hearing the word of God. And when you hear the promises of God to sacrifice, that his sacrifice and his promise is for you, it takes on a personal level where, where you are not only hearing what God is saying, but you are touched and transformed by what he says. And therefore, if faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, then you understand 
that there are people who hear God and people who don't hear God. If you look in the scriptures, those who uh, listen to uh, Matthew uh, and Mark in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, you'll find that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Jesus was confronted with this uh, by a lawyer, and uh, Jesus said, uh, you have answered well, that to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Uh, that's the right answer. And then he said, you are not far from the kingdom. Now get this idea that if loving God is close to the kingdom, but the idea is that there are people who are close, and then there are people who are far away from the kingdom. Likewise, uh, if you understand that those who come into the kingdom, those who are born again, who can see the kingdom, they have been brought near to God through Christ, as Ephesians 2.13. And so I want to get, give you this perspective that there's movement as people grow in their faith and their understanding of salvation of the promises of God. In 1 Thess 5.9, Paul talks about this movement from those who worship the gods and goddesses and idols and the world philosophies. He says, For they themselves report what kind of reception uh, you gave us, and they tell us how you turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. First Thess 5.9 And therefore, understand that when Jesus walked around in the New Testament times, he had to deal with all these different cultures uh, as well. Jews and Gentile as well. But he had a group of people who were anti-faith, who were anti-Christ, who were enemies of Christ, and they they were the antagonists. Satan certainly included in that. But more than that, there were religious people who had their views who were opposed and would not believe and would not hear the claims of promises of Christ. There were many who did follow Christ, but they weren't believers in Christ. They were the spectators. They were the onlookers. They were the unbelieving multitude that wanted Jesus to heal them, feed them, entertain them. But they were not believers. But I want to move to that group of people who did follow Christ, who did become disciples of Christ, and who did eventually become co-laborers and ministers of Christ with, with Jesus and who were given the Great Commission to go make disciples into all the world. They did receive the gift of faith, but not just receiving it, they had a faith that was developed. And so they desired to trust and obey Christ as they abided in him and as they were growing in their faith. And so in the first century, you had people who had no faith who were enemies no faith who were eyewitnesses, but then you had a group of people who were followers and they did have a saving faith. And that group of people turned into a group of people who became people of a serving faith. They were the disciples and the laborers who would take the gospel out. And yet, I would put John Mark in that position as long, along with Barnabas and Paul. All right, so when you go into different cultures, you've got to have an understanding of where you are and, 
in order to communicate. And I think John Mark was in this process of learning how to grow and develop his faith. So let me concentrate now on helping us understand about this development of faith. We know where faith comes from. It's a gift of God. But when the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God into the child of God, he develops the faith that people have in God. And so let me show you this. It's, I think this is fascinating. Beginning with Abraham, you, you know the story of Abraham. God called him from the Ur of Chaldees. He was not Jewish. He was not Hebrew. He was a pagan guy. And yet, God gave him a promise. In Romans 4, verse 20 and 21, it said, Yet he did not waver, doubt, become weak, or stagger through unbelief regarding the promises of God. But he was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded fully assured, fully convinced that God had power to do what he had promised. And again, what you find in that verse with Abraham, you have degrees of faith established by Paul who says that when Abraham heard, he didn't doubt or question because he had a gift of faith. And therefore, he became the father of faith of many nations. It was a simple faith. It was not a, uh, an intellectual or, or an argumentative, reasoned, conceptualized. It was a personal encounter where God spoke to Abraham, and it was a simple faith where Abraham simply believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Likewise, a simple faith is what Jesus would look for when he would come to people and he asked, would he find faith? He was looking for that faith. But he would says, unless you become converted and become like children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. A simple childlike faith, dependent upon the provision of parents. And yet, Jesus would often find people that would pray, Lord, would you increase our faith? Would you help us in our unbelief? but increase our faith, Luke 17, 5. And again, this idea that faith, faith occurs at different levels. And so the question is, how does one weak in faith become strong in faith? Paul recognized that in Romans 14, that, that those who are weak in faith need to be welcomed into the body instead of being judged or tell, being told what to do. You you welcome and you develop people who are weak in faith. So follow with me. There are three stages that I'm going to go through that, that you have faith as starting out. Starting out faith is, is focused on the grace and God's promises. And you know these verses in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, uh, four times in the book of Matthew, Matthew talks about little faith. And so he says uh, in Matthew 8, 26, why are, you, why are you afraid? And faith and fear, little faith accompanied by fear, little faith accompanied by doubt. Matthew 
1421. Little faith that's slow to believe, slow to learn. The disciples doubted, uh, and they were arguing about the bread that they left behind. And, and Jesus would say, why, why are you slow to believe? And likewise, uh, when, the, when the epileptic boy came and, and the disciples couldn't deal with that man, he says, help us in our unbelief. Well, all these ideas, you, you start with a little faith that has to be developed. And so when, when Abraham, without becoming weak in faith or wavering in faith or staggering in faith, uh, you have people that are going to be not willing to respond or trust because it's not developed. James talks about the man who is double-minded. And he's got uh, doesn't have the faith because he's blown around uh, like a piece of wood on the ocean, and you're and yet you have people who have this saving faith. They have a gift of faith, but it may be weak or wavering, but it's not strong yet. Now, interestingly, for Paul, when Paul is introducing faith among the Gentiles, he uses the word faith. Uh, in the Savior, he talks about the Savior 12 times in all of the writings. And for all Christians who have faith in the Savior, they understand that God's gift, God's promise of salvation, will bring forgiveness of sin. God's gift will bring the promise of resurrection. They understand about baptism, and they understand that they belong to Christ because they have faith in Christ. And yet, they're 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 focused on Christ as my Savior. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, which is legitimate and true. Uh, Jesus did come to be the Savior. But as Spurgeon said, it is a sweet thought that Jesus did not come forth without his Father's permission, without his Father's authority, without his Father's consent and assistance. Jesus was sent of the Father that he might be the Savior of all men. And that, that idea that Jesus uh, is the focus of our faith, the stress on faith is to see the meaning and the value in the saving work of God in Christ. And those who are starting off in faith understand that Jesus is the only Savior of the world. 1 John four fourteen. People understand that there is no other name under heaven given by God whereby we must, we must be saved. And therefore, Paul uses the idea of Savior and salvation 12 times, but he uses the word Lord 257 times in all of his letters. And the idea that Jesus is not only the Savior, but he's Lord, means that he's not only coming to provide salvation, but he's coming to <clears throat> rule and be the Lord over all. It means that he's out to restore his kingdom. And the difference of understanding salvation and understanding restoration it will, will be open up that window of faith. Because when you see Paul and Barnabas saying, I want to go to the Gentiles, and I want to present the gospel to the Gentiles. Why? Not to be competitive with the other world religions, because 
because the world belongs to Jesus. And therefore, as Lord, he's calling the Gentile people who belong to him back to him. And Paul says in Colossians 2, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, being rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. As Paul and Barnabas move out into the Gentiles and start helping people come to faith, knowing their promises, and then they start to grow in faith, they leave behind the little faith and they get stronger and stronger as they are taught when they surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And as they grow in understanding who who Christ is and what Christ came to do in terms of the restoration, Peter would say, like newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to this salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Well, John the Baptist would say that if you come to faith and if you're baptized, you want to continue to manifest those fruits and you want to repent and believe. And so there's there's more than just a, a head knowledge, acknowledgement, uh, an acceptance. It's there's real activity that says, I'm going to repent and I'm going to turn from the sin and those things that keep me away from knowing who Christ is. And that movement from weak to uh, growing moves into an assurance. And that's what Hebrews says, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Not a weak, not a doubt, but an assurance, a persuasion, Paul would say, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. And therefore, people become, as they grow in understanding the lordship of Christ, as they grow in understanding the grace and they can repent, and they grow in understanding this assurance of the promises, then they become rooted and grounded in their faith. Paul would say they become sound in their faith. Titus 1, 13 and 22. In other words, They're not going to be men who are easily moved, women who are easily influenced, but they will also be men and women of influence because they've got sound, grounded faith. And that's the kind of faith Abraham had because the faith that he had helped him to obey the Lord as he moved out. Well, You've got people who are starting off of faith, people who are growing in faith, and then there's the third group of people who are abounding in faith because they know the power of the Holy Spirit. And as they find them going through trials and they're being tested, as Job was, as Peter and James talks about, they end up having a proven faith that nothing that they go through will knock them off course but they they will show that they will endure because the proof of their faith, which is more precious than gold, will result in praise and honor the glory of Christ. But Paul goes on to say that this faith that really grows in conviction is a faith that works, and it works through love. A loving faith 
that works. It's not a dead faith, but it's a live faith. It's a compassionate faith. But it's a faith that moves out to meet people where they are, to meet and serve the needs of people, because you really are loving people. And therefore, James would say, it's not, a, it's not just a faith in name only, but it's a faith that's actively working, because it's faith with works. It's not a faith plus works that gets you saved. It's a faith that works. It's a saving faith. And therefore, <clears throat> those who are growing in faith, or who are growing in uh, passing those tests and, and, and moving out in loving people, uh, loving God and loving people, then you also have those people who are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, as Barnabas and Paul were. And as they do so, you find these people of faith moving out to help others grow in their faith. And that's when Jesus gave the disciples the commission, go help others uh, learn. Go make disciples of all nations, Gentiles of the world. And that faith that's developed over a period of time will be the faith that sustains people over the lifetime. And so Paul would say to Timothy, you fight that good fight of faith. And so as that fight of faith over time, you have finished the race because you've kept the faith through all your life. Well, how does one grow into that strong faith when you're weak? Well, Paul said it this way in Colossians 1, 28, 29. In uh, Jesus is the one we proclaim. We admonish and we teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature to have a mature faith. And to this end, I strenu strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ that works so powerfully within me. It is people meeting people who are getting instruction and getting uh, discipleship, who are getting help and encouragement from friends, who ask hard questions, who learn to, <clears throat> to think about faith the way that God wants us to grow as we share our stories of how God is increasing each of our faiths. And that, that sharing of faith, that mentoring of faith, that helping other people grow in faith, helps the whole church mature as we minister to each other. And what we need to understand is, as in the first century, the, the, the question wasn't whether or not people had faith. It was the question of whether they had faith in the true and the living God, as opposed to faith in the false God. This great division is the same as it always has been. There are variations of what people believe. Uh, but it's the same Holy Spirit and the same promises of salvation and the same methods of helping people grow in faith. It's the same today as it was back then. Each one of us has a story of how the Lord increases our faith by sending us people, by sending us teachers, by sending us pastors, by sending us uh, friends who want to help us grow in faith if we're open to the instruction. Therefore. We share the Lord's promise. 
with all those who call upon the name of the Lord. And as we do so, I would encourage you to think about where you are in your faith. If you're that weak stage that you need someone to come alongside of you and help you grow, by all means, that's what the church is there for. We are here to help you grow in your faith. There are some of us who are stronger and need to share our stories with others, but there are those who really are growing and want to abound and helping other people uh, really multiply and uh, their faith and take it out to the, to the nations. So there are people who are informed in their faith. There are people who are reformed in their faith. There are people who are conforming to Christ in their faith. And then there are people who are transforming the world by their faith. So just let me close with this, that if you want to grow in your faith, wherever you are, if you're a John Mark or if you're just starting off, you need to get wisdom. Get the wisdom and understanding of that gift of salvation. If you don't know about salvation, if you don't know about the gospel, uh, ask someone, ask questions, and go, go pursue and seek to get those answers so that your faith would become solid and strong. You may need to think about there are areas that are blocking you from growing in faith, some, some sin, some doubt that need to be taken away. And therefore, uh, God wants to restore you and increase your faith so that you can conquer those doubts. It may be some answers you need, some, uh, some insight, but there again, Go to someone you really respect and trust and ask them. But then you shift from this idea of Jesus as Savior to Jesus as Lord. And so to really increase your faith from being a passive to an active, to make Jesus Lord of your life. And therefore, you can identify and witness, stand up to say, I am a Christian. I am one who follows Christ and I belong to Christ. The more you understand the promises of God, to trust in those promises, the more you will be able to understand how that helps you grow, and that will enable you to help other people grow as you're anchoring your faith, not in whatever you think is what is true, but what is actually true as revealed in Scripture. Well, John Mark was growing in his his uh, faith wherever he was at that point. Paul and Barnabas went on to share their faith up in Antioch, Pisidia. And we'll look next week at what, what Paul's first sermon was to the Gentile people. And as we go through the book of Acts, I want you to pay attention how the Holy Spirit is working through Paul and Barnabas and the team to help other people grow in faith. Until we meet next week, let me just... <clears throat> leave you with this. Ask the Lord to increase your faith. And this week as you go through, get in the scriptures and then look for people who will help you grow in faith. Until next week, God bless. We'll see you.